1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Murray running out of time on the move. Coming back this way. Dancing and looking and directing traffic. And look at the length of this play. <laughs> Murray no, to the come 10, on. to the 5, and he's going to convert it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Daniels looking for Booty. Still looking. Flush. And will scramble. And Daniels has a first down. He's got the touchdown. 18. For Jaden Daniels. That ball was center cut. Ryan struck out Ozuna the last time he faced him back in the fifth inning. 3 2, got it by him. Ryan Nelson gets through seven in Atlanta with a 4 2 lead. Outstanding. Scott McGuff is ready in the bullpen. Again on 3 and 2 to Sean Murphy. Long goes at third. Ball game. Diamondbacks have won two straight in Atlanta. And Kevin Ginkle for the second consecutive night closes it out. And the Diamondbacks have turned things all the way around here on this road trip. Yo, one. Ranking ball hammered. Right field. This one is headed for the bleachers. And this ball will find the bleachers. It is gone. The Orioles get one back on the long ball from Gunnar Henderson, who waves out towards the crowd in right center field. Homer number 15 for Gunnar, and the Orioles' lead is now 8-5 in the fifth inning. Well, they average 30,000-plus here for the series of best in East and best in West, Rangers and Rays. Texas about to win the season series as well. This should do it. And for the first time since April 2nd, the Rays have to settle for a share of first place. They lose to the Rangers 5-1. They are swept here in Arlington. Their first road sweep of the year and only second sweep overall. How do you conduct that balancing act where people who love the past and the way baseball has always been played are not going to be put off by ways that you're doing to bring the game into the future? So many of the things that we're trying to accomplish would make the game look more like it looked 20 years ago. This notion that we're trying to change the game, like make it something it never was, I I think is wrong. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Thursday, July 20th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7, the Cardinals, should they try to trade Kyler Murray after the 2023 season? Jaden Daniels, did you think he would be a good quarterback after leaving ASU? The Diamondbacks, would it surprise you the most the last two nights in Atlanta? The American League East, who wins, the Orioles or the Rays? Rob Manfred, has he been a good MLB commissioner? 
And what is else is uh, what else has caught your eye since our last show? All the way back to yesterday. Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, today's show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday and moments with the introduction of today's pipeline. 9-15, our week-long preview of the college football season continues. Today it is LSU, and uh, we'll talk with uh, Wilson Alexander of the Baton Rouge Advocate. 9.30, it'll be interactive action at 602-260-1060, and also the local roundup. That will include a Wednesday uh, Diamondbacks and Braves analysis. Then the final segment of the Sports Zone will be the National Roundup. That will be topped by From the Scoreboard. Then after the Sports Zone from 10 to noon, it is the Extra Point, hosted by Kale. That will include more phone call time. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And, as usual, we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, should the Cardinals try to trade Kyler Murray after the 2023 season? And Corey is here, and he has the early returns. Right here, we have 100% at yes on KDUS1060.com. <laughs> Not surprisingly there. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings might be an interested party. That was uh, something uh, you know, that was uh, presented by a frequent sports zone guest over the years, Matthew Kohler, a Purple Insider. He uh, talked about that, wrote about that last weekend. Meanwhile, today's Twitter poll question, did you think Jaden Daniels would be a good college quarterback anywhere after he left ASU? And, uh, Corey, what do we have on this? This one's rather close. Leading, though, is yes, 54.5% of the vote. There are no at 45.5% of the vote on KDUSAM1060 on Twitter. I think some of those people are fudging a little bit. Uh, Daniels led LSU to the SEC championship game last season, and he's considered by most to be the top returning signal caller in the SEC this season. In addition to the Jaden Daniels question, anything college football, strongly encouraged discussion from pretty much now through the CFP championship game, which, by the way, is on January the 8th. Meanwhile, on the local front, the Diamondbacks beat the Braves again. Now, raise your hand if you thought Ryan Nelson, Gabriel Moreno, Nick Ahmed, and Kevin Ginkle would be key performers while beating the best team in the National League. Uh, what has been uh, most surprising about the Diamondbacks uh, winning the last two nights against the Braves? They're getting ready to start the final games of that series in a few minutes, by the way. Meanwhile, Spain the Globe. The Orioles uh, have caught the Rays, depending on which vision, uh, which which uh, version of the standings that you pay attention to. Uh, teams are basically tied for the American League East lead after the Orioles avoided being swept by the Dodgers, and the Rays were swept at Texas. By the way, the Orioles and Rays begin a four-game series tonight in Tampa. So, who wins the American League East, the Orioles or the Rays? Rob Manfred is not going anywhere. It's expected that he'll be reelected next week to a third term as the MLB commissioner. Has Rob Manfred been a good MLB commissioner? Also, in addition to all these outstanding questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? That's the pi uh, pipeline for today. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational one-hour radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion categories, whether it's from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060. 
or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. All right, coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by an LSU football preview for 2023. That'll include plenty of Jaden Daniels discussion. We'll talk with Wilson Alexander, the Baton Rouge advocate. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, it'll be phone call time. General discussion, 602-260-1060. And also of the little local roundup, that'll be topped by Diamondbacks and Braves analysis from Wednesday. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Cast Lux HD2 100.7. Extra Point with local and national topics, betting lines, and banter. Weekdays 10 to noon on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and the KTUS 1060 app. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KTUS AM 1060 and Kiss Lux HD2 100.7. You're home with the Dan Patrick Show live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. LSU with former Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels beat Alabama and uh, played in the SEC championship game last season. Out to the KDUS hotline we go for a 2023 LSU preview. We're now joined the sports by Wilson Alexander, the Baton Rouge advocate. And Wilson, good to have you on the show. And let's start with Jaden Daniels. Why was he so good last season and how surprising was his performance level? Well, thanks for having me, y'all. He was really effective uh, for most of the season, particularly in a three-game stretch against Florida, Ole Miss, and Alabama, in which he scored a combined 14 touchdowns uh, with no turnovers. And that was the best that Daniels played last season. At the very start of the year, LSU was going through quite a bit of change. Uh, He was a new quarterback. There was a new offensive coordinator, new players, uh, entirely new coaching staff under Brian Kelly. And it was clear that it took some time for those things to come together. Um, for the coaches to figure out what Jaden likes and for Jaden to figure out what the coaches wanted from him. Um, and there was certainly some hiccups at the beginning of the year, but that three-game stretch was kind of his coming-out party, and it's giving LSU quite a bit of confidence going into this season that if he can build on that um, and do it you know, consistently, he could have a huge year because he had the second-most productive season by a quarterback in LSU history behind Joe Burrow's Heisman campaign. Um, and, and that's wow. nothing to turn your nose up at. It certainly exceeded expectations in that regard. Um, but now he's got to continue to fill on that for LSU to get to where it wants to go. Okay, so what specifically can uh, Daniels do better this season? The big thing for him is downfield passing, um, which was a bit of an issue last season, um, particularly at the beginning of the year, like we said, when things weren't quite clicking. He was taking off and running quite a bit, um, which was sometimes effective, but not necessarily for sustaining an offense uh, long-term, and especially with you know for his health, uh, because you, you, know, you take so many hits. Um, the, it took some time for him to get on the same page with his receivers, um, and they needed to be able to stretch the ball downfield more. That's been the biggest thing with him. He's also put on about 15 pounds in order to be able to take withstand a full season in the SEC. Um, but the big thing was, was the downfield passing game. That's something else he's been working on all offseason, just to try to stretch the offense vertically and get more explosive. Must have better food in Louisiana than here because they tried to get him and put on weight when he was at Arizona State. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's certainly uh, the food does, will certainly put on weight, but it's not just a uh, bad weight, you know. He's put on yeah, I know. Of, a pretty compact muscle, it seems like, and so you know they've got a, a strength training program that seems to work for him. And for whatever reason, it, it's it's happening here uh, that it's, he's been able to get that that muscular build up a little bit better um, than it, that he had earlier in his career. Okay, so the SEC lost a lot of really good quarterbacks from last season. So is Daniels the best quarterback in the SEC, at least heading into this season? If he's not the best, he's up there top two or three. There's kind of a group with him, uh, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas, and Will Rogers at South Carolina, excuse me, at Mississippi State, that are all returning starters, uh, experienced returning starters, um, you know, in terms of being upperclassmen. And they're kind of the best group, you know, sort of that first tier of quarterbacks in the SEC this season because they are a little bit more proven commodities than somebody like Jalen Milrow at Alabama or Carson Beck um, at Georgia or even Devin Leary at Kentucky, who had a uh, really good sophomore season at NC State, but then kind of struggled last year and was hurt. And so there's, they might not be the best quarterbacks by the end of the season in the SEC, but they're kind of starting out that way. Jaden's certainly up there. I think the best one is either him or KJ um, and Jaden, but you have a, a certainly have a case for Jaden um, to be the best returning quarterback in the SEC. Maybe when it's all said and done, be the best quarterback in the SEC this season. Um, if he's able to do what we were talking about in terms of becoming a more effective downfield passer and continue to do all the things that he does as a runner, um, then he could be in the, in, and if, if LSU's winning, then he'll probably be in the Heisman conversation a little bit, um, you know, later in the year. And so, um, it, you know, coming out of media days this week, uh, tomorrow, there'll be the all preseason all SEC teams. And it would be a surprise if, if Jaden wasn't, you know, first or second team quarterback. Okay, Brian Kelly. Uh, he was 10 and 4 last season, his first year uh, in Baton Rouge. And has he won over the fan base? He certainly has. You know, it started off a little bit uneasy. Who is this guy coming down here from Notre <laughs> Dame with, who doesn't necessarily understand what we're about? You know, in Louisiana, people are certainly, I think, cautiously optimistic for starters. It wasn't, I don't, I never got the sense that there was as much sort of, um, you know, hate toward Brian Kelly, not even hate, but just like dislike of him um, right when he first got here, even with the whole family thing that so many people um, sort of first saw out of him at LSU in the moment. That did not seem like a thing uh, being in the arena itself um, when he said that. And, but certainly, by the, as a, it was always about winning football games. If Brian Kelly was going to win football games, he would be accepted in this uh, part of the country. That's what matters uh, to this fan base, ultimately, at the end of the day. And by, especially by doing that last year with 10 wins, especially one of them over Alabama at home in the fashion that they beat Alabama, um, he is this fan base is behind him. Um, they'll turn on him if he doesn't keep winning, but as long <laughs> as he keeps winning, they, they, are, they support him as their head coach. Daniels was one of just you know that 15 transfers last season. How is Kelly able to get that many new players to contribute in a you know a division winning team? That's been the most uh, impressive thing about this whole sort of start to the Brian Kelly era here is the ability to not only bring in uh, a quality transfer but transfers who are so impactful on this team and they're able to mesh so quickly because it's happening at every, you know programs around the country. Uh, we were talking to Ole Miss, you know, Coach Lane Kiffin today, and he said that, you know, they've got a team loaded with transfers, um, but they kind of fell short of expectations at the end of the year and kind of spiraled with four straight losses, and he thought maybe it was because they had so many transfers. But Brian Kelly, they brought in a lot, but they brought in some really good ones. They prioritized things like character, of, of course, and, and, um, and people who were going to fit into the program in the right kind of way, 
and they've been able to get all those guys to mesh. And you know, they've got to do it again this year because um, they brought in some guys like Omar Space from Oregon State, who's going to be a yeah. really important linebacker for them, but also a ton of corners. They've got to get that position group uh, settled with transfers, and so we'll have to see if they can do it again because they had to dip into the portal a little bit more than he would like to um, going forward. In a couple minutes here, let, let, let's uh, yeah, let's, let's stick with Kelly for one more question here. What can he do better in year two? So interesting. So it's not something I've considered about him because he had such a successful year one. It would probably be um, recruiting. Uh oh. Hello. The, the talent base so I, that you can get out of Louisiana. Um, so the fact that he would be able to recruit in-state maybe a little better, they missed out on some big guys in the last class, that would probably be the big thing for him to continue to recruit well because if he can get this roster up to really like, along with Georgia and Alabama, that kind of level, um, then LSU is going to be really, really competitive. So that would probably be the main thing at this point. They were talking with uh, Wilson Alexander, the Bad Rouge advocate, currently in the sports zone. All right, let's uh, flip this to uh, – well, I want to get to one more thing about the offense, or actually a couple more things. Go to the defense. I, I promise we'll get to the defense. Uh, but first up, they have a certainly experienced offensive lineman returning, seem to have multiple skill position playmakers. What stands out to you from the line? And other than Daniels, who do you think is most dangerous with the ball in his hands this year? The most dangerous person is certainly Malik Neighbors. He's a junior receiver, had a 1,000-yard season last year, a huge bowl game. He's their number one offensive playmaker and sort of already put, put the label on him uh, from Byron Kelly that he's the next in line to uh, this LSU wide receiver sort of run that they've been on with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and others. Um, Malik's kind of the next guy up, and he'll be their number one offensive weapon. But they've got some others like Mason Taylor, the tight end. Logan Diggs, another Dame transfer, is really intriguing. Um, and then on the offensive line, it's a group that was really messy at the start of the season last year, um, and that's part of the reason the offense was struggling early on. Um, but now that the young guys have gotten a lot of experience playing time, like Will Campbell at left tackle, Emory Jones at right tackle, they were both true freshmen starting in the SEC, which is no small feat. And now they're back for the season under their belt. This is an offensive line that they feel pretty good about because of the continuity. All right, now onto the defense, as I promised. Uh, edge rusher and linebacker Harold Perkins was uh, at times, maybe more than at times, unblockable last year as a freshman. How quickly did you realize that he was going to be a difference maker? To the level that he was, not until probably um, maybe midway through the season um, when he started to do some things like against Auburn. Um, you realize, oh man, this guy is really good. But you knew early on that he was a little was going to be probably special. It was just a matter of when he was going to get on the field, because right off the bat in fall camp, he's six two, two hundred twenty pounds, and looks just physically already ready to play right away. And uh, he was so fast right off the bat that it was clear that Elsie needed to find a way to get him on the field. And it was just a matter of figuring that out because he's an inside linebacker. But they had to start playing him outside to not put too much on him right away. And but once they got that sort of settled in their defensive scheme, it, 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 he just took off. And that game against Arkansas was one of the greatest performances yeah. that yeah. I've seen out of an LSU defensive player since I've been here. That was phenomenal. And you know now he's playing back inside again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just kind of how he handles mm -hmm. that transition. LSU has said all the good, good things about him. You know, switching to that inside linebacker, he'll still be a free-flowing outside edge rusher at times. 
um, but he's going to play a little bit more inside, which they hope will increase his versatility, make teams you know not be able to exactly predict where he's coming from um, instead of just coming out as an edge rusher, which if that can continue to unlock him, the sky's the limit for this guy. He could be the best defensive player in the country. Okay, so they returned just four defensive starters. They uh, you know, lost a lot, especially in the defensive backfield. So other than – who's going to be the hardest to replace? And other than Perkins, who needs to step up the most this season? The other person who needs to step up the most would probably be Mason Smith. He's a defensive tackle uh, with a lot of yeah. talent, but he's coming off of an ACL injury at the season opener last year, even though he is coming off of that. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while for guys to get back into form after an injury like that. LSU is sort of already putting a lot on him in terms of this is somebody who's going to need to be an inside pass rush presence for them um, to give Harold some one-on-ones on the edge and make teams not be able to just key up on Harold but really have to defend the whole defensive front. There's already been quite a bit on Mason. Um, you know, he's, he's a big one. Um, in terms of who's going to be the toughest to replace, um, it's not the biggest name necessarily, but um, the cornerback room with Darvin R. Converse and Makai Garner um, and some others, Jay Ward back there. This is the area that LSU has got circled as concern as, as the cornerback because they had to dip back into the transfer portal, get four transfer corners. They don't have a lot of depth in the secondary yet. And if they're not able to get um, the same level of production out of that room, then this, that could be the Achilles heel there is in the defensive uh, backfield. So replacing those corners who were only there for a little bit, um, those are going to be the toughest to replace. Okay, you mentioned Spate. Uh, he was really good at Oregon State. We're familiar with him. Uh, what's expected for him at LSU this year? To be a starting inside linebacker and, and kind of a catalyst for this defense. He's come in right away and sort of established himself as a leader, even though he's not as you know a vocal guy by any means. Um, the way that he carries himself has sort of drawn LSU uh, players around him, and, and sort of they like to follow this guy. Um, a lot of a lot of respect for him right off the bat. The way he just works, um, you know, with his range um, and the way that he plays at linebacker, they're expecting him to start and maybe be the most impactful transfer that they brought in in this class. Um, and so he's going to have to do that, especially because LSU lost some uh, starting linebacker in Micah Baskerville and some other you know underclassmen tr- who transferred out of the program. Um, Spate's going to have to be a really solid contributor for them right in the middle of the field. Preview in LSU football with uh, Wilson Alexander of the Bad Rouge Advocate. All right, so week one, you get Florida State and Orlando. Then there's division road games at Mississippi State, Old Miss, and Alabama. They do play five of their last six games at home. Uh, does LSU negotiate uh, that slate and win the SEC West again? Well, we'll have to see. Um, they're going to be in a good position, though, if they can just split between Florida State and Alabama, even if they don't win the SEC West. Um, if they split those games and run the table outside of that um, to potentially go 11-1, and then they're going to be in a really good chance to make the playoff, um, as, depending on what happens and shakes out in the rest of the conference. Winning the SEC West is going to be tough. That's you know just the last year of this division that's been such a grinder uh, will continue to be so. Alabama was here yesterday at SEC Media Days. They're clearly highly motivated. Um, they've got a lot of talent, but obviously the questions at, cor- at quarterback and with two new coordinators. Um, and now you have to go to Tuscaloosa to try to win two in a row against Alabama, which uh, has not happened in a very long time here. So that's going to that's not no small feat. Um, whether or not they can win the SEC West, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, they're going to be the favorite here coming out of media days tomorrow. Um, they're certainly a, a, it's, a, it's, it's there for them, but they got to go and do it. 
Okay, speaking of NCC Media Week, I've been there watching the last four days. I frankly don't take a whole lot from what I hear from the coaches seriously, no matter what conference it is at this time of the year. Uh, did you learn anything? You're there. Did you learn anything this week from SEC Media Days? I, I would have to agree with you that there is there's so much sort of fluff uh, at these events and uh, a lot that you hear that you didn't necessarily already know. Um, I guess in terms of, of what I learned, um, you know, covering LSU, I learned that you know John Emery is the running back of theirs who he could be very talented. He was a former five-star. He's had some academic issues, and um, he's going to probably be able to be available for fall camp after missing the spring with some academic stuff. And so um, that would be something on the LSU side of things that we kind of pulled out. But from a more broad overview, um, there's been just so much talk about Texas and Oklahoma and them coming to join the league. Um, the Everybody – of course, it's sort of saying all the right things and being very supportive of that um, move. Um, so we'll, that'll be really fascinating next year when LSU, when, excuse me, when SEC Media Days goes to Dallas and starts to expand um, with those two teams in the league. Yeah, I assume that Greg Sankey has uh, concluded his Monday filibuster by now. It was, it was like an hour. I mean, it was. It, I understand commissioners are going to go up there and talk up their conference, and they got plenty to talk about, or he does. But I mean, that that lasted a long time. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, it all it certainly always does with his sort of annual State of the Union uh, of the SEC, and with so much going on around the conference, he had a, a lot to talk about. Um, the, the sort of heartfelt moment that actually came from that I think might be worth mentioning is, of course, this is the first year since um, first, this will be the first season since Mike Leach died. So, you know, so suddenly right. back in December, yeah. um, mm-hmm. there's a heartfelt moment there was thinking not wearing a tie thing because Leach went on a, you know, a, a typical Leach rant last year about um, the ne- how useless neckties are. Um, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was interesting to see Mississippi State here this week trying to get past the loss of that co- uh, yeah. sudden loss of a coach in an unprecedented situation while still moving forward and, and not getting sort of stuck in, in the that feeling of grief in the, and in the past and them navigating that's going to be one of the most fascinating stories of the year. Wilson, this has been great. I appreciate it, especially taking time from uh, media day today. Lane Kiffin talked today. That's always an interesting thing in itself. So uh, thanks for the time. And I'm sure we'll be checking back during the season. Thanks for having me, y'all. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Wilson Alexander, the Baton Rouge Advocate. Excellent stuff there. And he's, uh, as we mentioned, at uh, Media Days, uh, day four of SEC Media Days uh, today in uh, Nashville. They moved to Nashville next year. In case you missed it yesterday, I mentioned this in the Sports Zone, that the, uh, the SEC Media Days next year will be in Dallas, Texas. OU in Texas, of course, that's where they play, you know, the Red River uh, rivalry. Uh, I don't know if we're supposed to do it. They've changed the name of that thing so many times, I don't even know what it's called anymore. But anyway, uh, the next year, the SEC Media Days. Not surprisingly, officially, uh, Sankey announced uh, earlier this week that it'll be in Dallas. All right, next up, phone call time if you want to get in, 602-260-1060. 602-260-1060, and also we'll get to... Some local roundup, the Diamondbacks and uh, Braves currently underway today. The uh, the race to 12 wins between Spencer Strider and Zach Gallen. Those are the two scheduled. They're, the, they're, they're basically the two starting pitchers today. They've started. They're in the top of the second inning right now. Uh, no score so far between uh, Braves and 
the uh, Diamondbacks. So we'll get to the little from the Diamondbacks game from yesterday. Yet another Diamondbacks victory. And if you want to get in phone call wise, general discussion, 602-260-1060. You're listening to Sports Zone on KDUS AM 1060 and Lux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it is phone call time if you'd like to get in. Anything uh, sports related is okay, but it better be good. 602 260 1060. 602 260 1060. On to today's local roundup, Diamondbacks still 0-0, top of the second inning as they played the third of the three-game series at Atlanta. Strider against Gallon. Uh, you would expect a low-scoring game. I don't think it's going to be 16-13. to Pretty sure about that. Yesterday I, I was you know, t- told you all that if you could find a, you know over-under total of uh, 29, bet it under. Uh, you know, somewhat uh, completely sarcastically. Uh, but that that actually turned out to be true because last night's final was five to three, and the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, they uh, defeated Atlanta. Uh, they actually entered Atlanta with ten losses in our previous fourteen games, so I think it has to be surprising to everybody, maybe even the Diamondbacks, that they've won two straight against the uh, perceived uh, best team in baseball, the Braves, including that game, uh, you know, five to three last night. Some of the Tuesday key contributors were Ryan Nelson, Gabriel Moreno, uh, Nick Ahmed, and for a second consecutive night, Kevin Ginkle. Let's start with Nelson. He delivered his second good start on this trip. Seven innings, two runs allowed, three hits, only walked one. Uh, that was against baseball's best lineup. He's been really good on the road this season, Nelson has. He's 4-1 and one with a 267 or run average. Oddly... And you know, probably a little easier to pitch on the road than in Chase Field all the time. But he's been awful at Chase Field. Uh, Nelson has an 8-0-8 earned run average and hasn't even averaged five innings per start in his games at home. So he was tremendous last night, no question, seven full innings. Meanwhile, also last night, Marino started the Arizona scoring with a single to right field. That's kind of become his, uh, you know, his uh, you know, specialty. He gets a lot of balls to the opposite field, and uh, he did that last night. Uh, Nick Ahmed added the RBI double in the seventh inning in addition to a diving catch and a, a key uh, meeting at the mound, I would say, in the ninth inning uh, with Kevin Ginkle. And Ginkle, after the brief mental meltdown when uh, Acuna was dancing around between third base and home, after Ginkle got over that, and after the stern talking to from Ahmed in the bound, uh, Ginkle managed to overcome all that. He gave up a hit and a walk and threw a wild pitch in that ninth inning, but he got his second save in two nights. Meanwhile, statistically speaking, the Diamondbacks were 4 for 12 with runners in scoring position. All those hits with two outs. Ahmed was 2 for 3. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Moreno had the other hits. Meanwhile, the Braves certainly have not played well since the All-Star break. They're uh, now 1-4 with four consecutive losses. That has been dominated, really kind of littered, by bad defense, which is especially surprising. 
The Braves uh, did not also activate Max Fried off the injured list in this series, which was expected by some before the series started. Uh, meanwhile, instead, Fried is scheduled to actually throw five innings today. And what they say is his final rehab start, if all goes well. And if it does all go well, uh, Freed expected to return to the Braves rotation next week. Not everything good on the Braves front uh, injury-wise. Kyle Wright, it was reported last week that he might return in early August. On Wednesday, the Braves indicated that Wright will not return before uh, before uh, you know, September. So you know, that's a definitely a, a setback there. I didn't hear, and I tried to investigate this. I didn't exactly see what the setback was, but you know that's a you know a month and you know roughly you know maybe four or five starts. Uh, and uh, he did win 20 games last season. And after Freed, I think that most would consider Wright to be their second best starting pitcher if everybody's healthy, which they have not been at any point this season. The Braves rotation. Other personnel news. Let's go with the Diamondbacks here. Uh, I suggested on Wednesday's show that they designate Zach Davies for assignment. Uh, later on Wednesday, they did make a Davies roster move, but they just they placed him on the 15-day injured list. Lower back inflammation uh, was the term, uh, which seems to be the case because he's come back to Phoenix and he's having an MRI, not just one of these phony injury things that you know, teams of, you know, occasionally come up with to you know, rest some pitchers or however. Usually that's the way that that works. So I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Davies, however. Merrill Kelly is activated from the injured list. Kelly uh, you know, is scheduled to throw another simulated game. Uh, and if that all goes well, it uh, seems that Kelly's going to be activated at some point next week when they come back from this nine-game, three-city road trip. Also on Wednesday, the Diamondbacks recalled left-handed pitcher Joe Mantiply from AAA Reno. And then once again, as I mentioned uh, today, it's Zach Gallon, who's 11-4 and with a 314 run average against Spencer Strider, 11-3 and with a 366. And those two guys are tied for uh, the most wins in Major League Baseball at 11. Uh, Gallon is one win shy of his career high, uh, or matching his career high, which is 12 uh, earlier in his career. Gallon also... And his last three starts before today, two and zero with a 193 earned run average, allowing four earned runs in his last 18 and two thirds innings. That is over three starts. Meanwhile, around the National League West, uh, the current Dodgers ace Julio, uh, you know, Julio Urias, he had he had nothing yesterday. Just didn't have it. We mentioned that during the extra point when that game was going on yesterday. Urias allowed a career most eight earned runs. In the Dodgers' 8-4 loss at Baltimore, Urias didn't even strike out anybody until the 20th batter he faced yesterday. Uh, the Dodgers still have won 10, uh, 8 out of 10. They're 4-2 and two in the first six games of this road trip. They won 2 out of 3 against the Mets. They won 2 out of 3 against the Orioles. And this road trip continues now for the Dodgers starting tomorrow night. They're off today. They play tomorrow night at first place Texas, which has gone 6-0. and zero after the All-Star break. Meanwhile, the Dodgers' uh, injuries continue. Outfielder Jake Marisnik, who has not even been on their team for a week, he won the 10-day injured list yesterday with a hamstring issue. So uh, the Dodgers' injuries just continue. Guys that just get there uh, you know, seemingly get hurt quickly, and certainly that's the case with Marisnik. 
the Giants actually lost a road game yesterday. How about that? Uh, it was last night, and Will Benson hit a three-run homer, and the Reds uh, stopped the uh, Giants' seven-game winning streak. They won. Uh, the Reds won three to two. They ended the Reds' uh, losing streak. They had lost, uh, you know, six or seven in a row. One of those two uh, since the other. Actually, it was seven in a row since the All-Star break. But yesterday, the Reds win three-two over the Giants. Uh, still, the Giants are twenty and six in their last twenty-six road games, which is quite an accomplishment. Uh, injury news for the Giants, though. Brandon Crawford. Not necessarily the everyday shortstop. He plays almost every day at shortstop. Some of them, you know, maybe it's like 50-50 you know, these days. But, you know, he's uh, if they started the playoff series today and he's healthy, I think he would be their starting shortstop. He was placed in the 10-day injured list with uh, left knee inflammation. Today for the Giants, and this game just starting in Cincinnati. I have the Dodgers and Diamondbacks on one television screen here, and I have the uh, Braves and the uh, excuse me the uh, uh, refresh the the Dodgers don't play today. I have the Diamondbacks and the Braves on one screen, and then to the right of that I have another screen uh, the uh, the uh, Reds and the uh, and the Giants playing. Okay, so they're easy for me to say. But the pitchers in the pitchers in that game are Andrew Abbott, who has become the ace of the Reds staff in his rookie season. He's four and two, and Alex Cobb, who's been good when healthy uh, for the Giants, is six and two. That game just underway. So the standings in the uh, National League West: Diamondbacks had a good day yesterday; they won, and uh, the Dodgers and Giants both lost. So the Dodgers sitting at forty-five and forty. They have won either their last ten, as I mentioned. The Diamondbacks sitting at uh, fifty-four and forty-two, so they're two games behind. The Giants are uh, at, uh, also at 44 and 42, same record as the Diamondbacks. And if you're one of the suckers out there and actually think that San Diego has a chance to do anything, uh, which I hear all the time from very smart people, uh, baseball people, you know, friends of mine who are just baseball fans and friends of mine whose you know, opinion I respect, I don't quite understand this because we've seen enough of the, haven't we seen enough of the Padres to realize they're just not any good? Not this season. They're four games under 500, and they've won like you know, two or three in a row now to get to that level, and they're just, yeah, okay. Get back to me if they get to 500, and then they might have a chance. Anyway, so there's that. All right, also in today's local roundup, there's uh, you know, certainly been a little Cardinals chatter out there. Training camp for the Cardinals starts a week from today. NFL media reporting that quarterback Clayton Toon has impressed the coaching staff with his command of the offense. Um, according to head coach uh, Jonathan Gannon, said, uh, what I like about him is he's not scared. Uh, we've grown a lot. Uh, we, we've thrown a lot at him uh, to operate the offense. Uh, I actually liked Toon when he was at Houston, the University of Houston in college and uh I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a couple years down the road that he's not the starting quarterback of the Cardinals. Looks like Colt McCoy is going to get the number one snaps to start this season uh, because of you know, he's back and you know, obviously Kyler Murray's out for a while. Also uh, from the NFL media, Rondell Moore, Greg Dortch, and uh, Zach Paschal are all expected to compete for the number two wide receiver spot during training camp. Marquise Brown, obviously, clearly the number one wide receiver as long as he stays healthy. And staying healthy, including last year with the Cardinals, has been a problem from time to time for Brown in his NFL career. 
All right, coming up next, we'll have a news update with Corey. That will be followed by the conclusion of today's show with the National Roundup. That will include from the scoreboard, a little, uh, little Major League Baseball from yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about the Orioles and the Rays. Uh, the Orioles uh, and the Rays begin a series tonight. Also in Tampa, as I mentioned previously, that should be fun. First of a four-game series. And uh, depending on which version of the standings that you most believe in, they're like deadlocked, uh, not exactly deadlocked in the uh, American League East at this point. So we'll get to that and more in the next segment. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's National Roundup. All right, welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. From the MLB scoreboard, the Orioles and Rays are now tied for the top spot in the AL East. Depending on which way you view the standings, you get the gist. The, uh, the Orioles salvaged the uh, final game of the three-game series on Wednesday. They beat the Dodgers, as we mentioned in the last segment. The Orioles, the only team in baseball not to have been swept this season, in fact, they haven't been swept in a series, Baltimore, since May of 2022, since last last May, yeah, two Mays ago now. Uh, Gunnar Henderson homered and scored three runs as the Orioles won yesterday, 8-5 to five, over the Dodgers. Uh, also, not everything was great for the Orioles. They placed Cedric Mullins on the injured list, second time he's been on there this year. This time it's a right objector groin strain. Not sounding like uh, there seems to be some conflicting reports as to whether he'll be back and when eligible to return on July the 26th. Meanwhile, the Orioles are tied for first place in the American League East after the Rays beat the Rangers. Even though the Texas Rangers lost two players because of injury, more on that in a moment. Leo Taveras and also Jonah Heim homered for the AL West leading Rangers. As they extended their winning streak, they're six and zero, by the way, since the All-Star break ended, and they came back and started playing last Friday. The Rangers win yesterday, five to one, against the Rays. That game in Texas, the uh, Rays are now they fell to 40, uh, excuse me, 60 and 39. They're three and 11 in July, uh, so. Yeah, they had led every day of the season. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, they still lead, quote unquote, uh, technically, but uh, you know, they're now tied for the lead, in my opinion. That's the way I look at the standings, at least in July, uh, with the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles are percentage points ahead after they won that game against the Dodgers yesterday, and as I mentioned uh, several times, and I'll certainly mention it again right now. Tampa Bay and Baltimore play the first of a four-game series tonight. Back to the Rangers. They did lose two key players because of injury yesterday. Starting pitcher John Gray, uh, John Gray left. Uh, he was hit in a line drive on the, by a line drive on his left shin uh, by a comebacker. Uh, he's expected to be okay. They said it was a bruised left shin. And also uh, all-star outfitter Adolis Garcia. He left after he got hit by a pitch. Uh, in his left arm in the eighth inning, and they say he's day-to-day. So we'll see how that goes. Also, another quick, a couple other quick things from the headlines and from the wire. Brewers starting pitcher Brandon Woodruff expected to return in August. He's been out since April the 7th because of a shoulder history issue. Uh, getting Woodruff back would be the equivalent of the Brewers basically getting a trade deadline addition. 
That would be a big help for Craig Council's team there as they tried to win the NL Central. Bad news for the Phillies' top-pitching prospect, Andrew Painter, uh, has been advised to undergo Tommy John surgery in his left-throwing elbow. The club announced that yesterday uh, before Painter was injured during spring training. Uh, he was expected to make the opening day Phillies roster in the rotation. In fact, he was supposed to be a starter. Very impressive in spring training. Uh, some consider him to be the best pitching prospect in baseball. Meanwhile, hurt through the grapevine, the Astros, according to our friend of the program, USA Today's Bob Nightingale, uh, are interested in uh, the Cubs' Marcus Stroman and also Valley prospect Cody Bellinger. And also the Royals, the trade value of a closer Scott Barlow might be declining because of some of his recent struggles. All right, that is it for the Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. The Extra Point with Kayla coming up next. I'll include more phone call time, 602-260-1060. Also, uh, the plan is to get into the SEC a little more. We previewed LSU in this hour. Thanks for listening. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. And uh, stay tuned. The Extra Point coming up next. <laughs> 